Hey everyone, I'm Jen Garrett and welcome to the Move the Ball podcast. On this podcast, we are going to talk about how to succeed in business and in life by putting winning strategies into practice to help you advance faster. So if you're looking to move forward and reach that next level of greatness, then you are in the right place. Now get ready. Let's suit up, show up and move the ball. Hey everyone, Jen Garrett here. It's so great to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. Now, if you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and leave us a review. And today, inside the huddle with us, I've got a very special guest. So ready to help us to move the ball is Mr. Scott Wine. Scott joined Polaris Industries in September 2008 as CEO and became Polaris's chairman in 2013. Prior to joining Polaris, Scott served as the president of Fire Safeties America, a division of United Technologies, and he's also held various senior leadership positions at companies such as Danaher Corporation, as well as Honeywell in their aerospace division. Scott also serves on the boards of Polaris, as well as U.S. Bancorp and the United States Naval Academy Foundation Board of Directors. And Scott is a U.S. Naval Academy grad himself, which we'll talk about as well in the show. Scott... Welcome to the show. Jen, thank, thanks so much for having me. I always enjoy listening to your podcast, and it's an honor to be able to join you this afternoon. Why, well, thank you so much for being here. I'm really looking forward to having this conversation with you. So first off, you played football in high school and in college at the Naval Academy. So share with us. I like to ask when I have professional athletes on the show that played football, kind of what got them into the sport. So what got you into football and what was it about football that really excited you? You know, I, I grew up in a, you know, my father was a high school athlete, uh, very good in uh, sports growing up. And so it was just a always outdoor we were playing basketball playing you know backyard football and you know when I was younger we didn't have tackle youth football so we played flag football and um, I just always loved the competitive nature of it and the teamwork aspect of it and you know when I got into high school I was able to it was interesting I was able to be the running back when my brother was the quarterback um, and so that was a great experience and you know I just really and it, my grandfather who I was very very close with lived a hundred miles away and drove every single Friday night to see our games. And, you know, it really reminded me, not only is, is what you're doing in a sport contributing to making yourself and your team better, but it's also an interesting and, a, and an important family event. And, you know, even now, as I see my own kids playing, I, I recognize the, the family um, importance of, of seeing people compete and work hard to succeed. And, you know, ultimately, I was very blessed when I, um, you know, was getting graduating from high school. I had a couple of scholarship offers, but, um, you know, one option was the Naval Academy, and I went for a recruiting visit, and I never will forget, I'll, um, I'll never forgive him, Mark Furley was the, the safety on the team at the time, and he, um, during my recruiting visit, somehow I didn't see a plebe the entire time, and uh, we went out and had a reasonably good time while I was there, and, and I just really thought going to the Naval Academy was going to be one really hard year, and then it was going to be so easy and great after that, and it, um, you know, one of the things I learned is, is about managing expectations, that it, it isn't great after that. It's just a little bit better. Um, but, you know, I was at, at Navy with Napoleon McCallum and um, got to see, you know, he ultimately went on to the Raiders and um, was a Heisman Trophy candidate and was a, a wonderful, wonderful athlete. And, you know, that was kind of the highlight of, of my time there was being able to play with him. But, you know, many of the, the best friends that I have in the world are still the guys that I played football with at Navy. Even though we weren't very good, 
um, you got to see um, you know, the, the importance and how people and teams come together uh, to try to fight through adversity and um, overcome challenges. It was a, just a wonderful learning experience for me. And, and ultimately, we like to hire at Polaris, we like to hire, hire college athletes because uh, we know how much work they have to do to be able to give everything they can to the sport, but also be able to maintain the academics as well. So uh, lots of really good lessons for me um, through football in my life. Absolutely. And being a student athlete is tough because you've already have this rigorous college curriculum you're trying to, to manage or, you know, 18, 19, 20 year old kids. So you're a young adult trying to figure out life as well. And then you've got the rigor that sports is layered on top of that, all the practices and the drills and, and everything else. So it is a lot to balance being a student athlete and kind of being on your own for the first time as an adult, too. So share with us, what was your college football experience like? Were there any lessons that you learned from coaches or teammates that really stuck with you as you moved on beyond uh, college and your Navy career and even went out into the private sector? You know, there were some lessons. I mean, I wish I could say they were, you know, because I was playing so well on the team. But ultimately, you know, we had a coaching change after my plebe year, and there was a whole new coaching staff coming in. And, and just understanding um, what it takes to be able to prove yourself when you're not part of that recruiting class of, of those coaches. And, you know, quite honestly, I, in, in hindsight, I probably thought I was better than I was and didn't need to work as hard. And it was, it was a later, you know, after a couple of years that I realized that, you know, it was really up to me to put the work in. And, and at that point it was too late. So, I mean, I did not have a, a great playing career, but so it was really, um, a lesson about the importance of hard work, and I've stressed it to my own son who's playing lacrosse at the Naval Academy now, is, is make sure you feel like you put your absolute best foot forward. And, you know, sometimes I didn't do that, and I never let that happen again in my career. So ultimately, you know, not doing great on the Navy football team probably helped me as much in my career as anything because it always gave me that impetus to work harder and, and be as, as good as I could possibly be. And you learned some great lessons, not only from playing football, but also from being in the military, being at the Naval Academy you know, as a military officer myself. There's so many great things that we learn about good leadership, right, and how to execute and execute uh, the mission, right, execute well in business. What are some of those things that you took away from the military leadership side that has helped you to be successful? Well, you know, I, I think too many people have a, an incorrect perception of what military leadership's not. It's not a, it's really not, and you know this, it's not a hierarchical dictatorial type of leadership at all. It really is how do you empower people and lead people to give their very best um, in a very disciplined manner. And I think ultimately um, the standard work, the, you know, understanding, you know, at, at the Naval Academy, uh, the importance of making your bed perfect every day and having your closets, you know, perfect every day having that discipline and ultimately um, understanding how the, the discipline leads to consistency and how consistency creates an environment where you can start to deliver um, better results. But, you know, ultimately, I, I think the most important thing for me was even, you know, I was probably 23 years old, maybe 22 when I arrived on the USS Lewis B. Polar, a guided missile frigate, and, you know, had my first crew. And you're standing there, and, and it's your job to, to help get the best out of that group. And you rely on your, your chief at the time to make sure that you're communicating properly. But ultimately, 
this idea of, of standard work and accountability are probably for me the two best things that I learned coming out of the Navy because accountability is really, you know, making sure people know what's expected of them and then providing feedback, good or bad, on how they're doing towards that. And the Navy was really good about accountability. And, and ultimately, um, because you don't get, you know, at Polaris, I get to recruit the best people I possibly can, but in the Navy, you got what you were given. So it forced you to work with people ultimately to make them better so that you could get, um, get the job accomplished. I, I was incredibly fortunate. Uh, both the leadership lessons at the Naval Academy um, and while I was in the Navy were, were wonderful. And you bring up a good point. I mean, accountability is important. Performance, expectations, and feedback is also another important thing where I think throughout my career, I've seen people do it well, and I've seen people do it not so well. And I've inherited teams where they did not get good feedback by prior leadership. And so they thought they were doing great, and they were not. And so trying to turn that ship around to really perform to the customer's expectation was tough because I had guys that had 20-year military careers now working in the aerospace business for 20 years and they thought that they did great work and I had customers tell me no you know this is what we expect and we're not seeing it and trying to change that when people aren't getting that feedback along the way is hard especially when uh, for me I was coming from a different division of the company so I didn't have that credibility trying to turn that around was tough and I think it's important that if you're in a position of leadership that you are always providing feedback good and bad to your employees so that they can correct those things that they may be deficient on as well as know where they're doing good things and I think it's hard for people to do that so is there any advice that you can share for people that not everyone is good at having those critical conversations or those crucial conversations if you will how would you handle those types of situations when you had to give feedback to people that might not be as positive as they would like well I mean I think it's important that you are honest efficient and constructive. And when I mean efficient, it, it does no good to provide feedback. Uh, you think about, you know, we, we both have a, a, a strong like for football, but it, it doesn't help if you go back a week later and tell somebody that the play they did the, on the Saturday before, you know, wasn't executed properly. You need to tell them right after the play or at best in the, the film session right after the game. And I think it's really important that, you know, the annual reviews are important, but not nearly as important as that regular dialogue. Um, and it's, it's also important to not be negative all the time. Everybody's doing some things well, and they may have opportunities for improvement. And I think being able to provide a balanced but very clear message on what's expected and, and where they may or may not be falling short and how they can improve. And, and ultimately, it's that how they can improve that needs to be the most focused because all if all you do is point out problems it doesn't give anybody the confidence that you're willing to help them so it's talking through with them and ultimately helping them develop you know what is the action plan that's going to help turn this around and you know and and I always offer how can I be of assistance in that way but um, you know I, I always tell my team is you know we're not in third grade anymore trying doesn't count it's about getting results and I think we just all have to have an agreement on you know, if, if we're not getting the results, why and what can we do to make it better? Absolutely. And throughout your career, have you seen that uh, the leadership teams that you're on, or even when you were more junior in your career, did you find that the leaders that you reported to were really good at uh, setting the goals and expectations to those goals? Or did you see that that was an area where, where maybe they could have improved? You know, interestingly, I, I've been very, very blessed to work for a, a great number of leaders throughout my career. 
And truthfully, I probably learned more from the bad ones than I did the good ones. Um, you kind of say, I don't want to do that. How would I do it differently? And, you know, working for General Powell was one of the, the great, you know, honors of my career. And I, you know, it was my last job in the Navy and I was running the executive dining room for General Powell. And just seeing how he led, he's dealing with, you know, the Gulf War and, and, and just tremendously global problems affecting our military, meeting with the president or the secretary of defense. Yet he still made time for me to talk about issues going on in the dining room, offering assistance, providing support. Um, you know, so that was a, a very positive leadership lesson that I saw, you know, and that obviously you don't become chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff without having really strong leadership. But before that, I'd been out, you know, on a ship and, you know, I had three different commanding officers. And I often say in a, the closest thing to a dictatorship in the United States is the CEO of a, of a ship. And um, just seeing how they led and how their actions and leadership styles affected the overall environment of the ship was a really good learning for me early on in my career. Gotcha. And as you progressed in your career, what things did you do to really separate yourself out and ensure that you had career progression opportunities? Well, you know, one of the things, and you know it from your military career, is I, I've never worked as hard as I did in those three years I was on a, a guided missile frigate out in Long Beach, California. And you, you just, I've always, in every job I've ever had in corporate America, I've just committed myself to, to working as hard as I can and recognizing that, you know, when you, it's a privilege when you've worked in the Navy and you can't hire people, it really is a privilege to be able to hire and, and ultimately fire people when you need to. And so I've always focused on building the strongest possible teams I can and, you know, here at Polaris, I've been here 12 years, so I've got the exact team, you know, that I want, and they deliver great results. And um, you know, ultimately, it's it's really understanding in every job I went in, I tried to understand what really matters to our customers, what really matters to the corporation, and those are the things I focused on. I, I really have strived to never get caught up in the minutiae of thinking that the busy is more important than the important or, or can overtake the important. And I've, I've always put my focus on the important things for the business and made sure that anything that could differentiate us and drive the business or that team for better performance, that's what I focused on. That's what I ultimately built the team to accomplish. And, um, you know, I think doing that consistently has always given me um, more opportunities. And you talk about building the team that you have now at Polaris. So aside from domain expertise, which is important when you're looking at filling holes in your team, there's also leadership qualities, characteristics that are important to have on your team. What are those things for you? What's important that your members of your leadership team have? You know, we always look for uh, Jim Williams, who's my uh, CHRO and um, really my partner in creating what you know we like to call a talent academy is what we strive to be. Um, but we always look at, you know, someone's track record. It, it's, it's unlikely that someone is going to do very differently at Polaris than they've done previously. So you want somebody that's had, you know, good pro career pro progression, has delivered results the right way, um, their reputation for building talent and teams behind them is good, um, but ultimately that they've consistently been able to deliver results. And, you know, most of the people that, that we've hired have been in a couple of different companies, um, but everywhere they've been, they've delivered, they've grown in their careers and they've delivered positive results. And, you know, that makes it easier for them to do it here. You know, we put all of our senior executives through a psychological assessment. We, we test IQ, we test personality traits, and, 
you know, we use that to validate what we find in interviews and what we find in reference checks. And it's ultimately that package we get that gives us a pretty good track record. We still, we still make some mistakes now and then. And, you know, one of the things as a leader, I believe, if you make a hiring mistake, admit it early and deal with it. And, you know, you got to be a little bit, uh, display a little bit of humility when you, when you spend a lot of money and you make a big deal about bringing someone in and they don't work out. Um, if they don't work out, they don't work out. And ultimately, um, being willing to make those changes, make those hard people decisions is one of the things I think all CEOs need to be willing to do. Absolutely. And you mentioned, you know, owning up to it quickly. And I think that's important too, as leaders at all levels, it's important when we make a mistake or, or make the wrong decision that we own up to that, learn from it and move on. A lot of times people try to just kind of sweep it under the rug or, you know, try to deflect or make someone else the, the scapegoat instead of just taking that ownership themselves as a leader. So let's talk about, so we're currently in September, 2020. We're still in this pandemic, right? We've been going at this for about six months now or so. And this year has been interesting for, for everyone. It's, it's forced a lot of us to adapt in many different ways. Talk to us about how has Polaris had to adapt due to this current environment? Well, uh, Janet, th this was uh, when it started really in January in, in Wuhan, but you know, we were early on in February starting to see problems with our supply chain. I really talked about how strong my team is. And, and one of the greatest assets we have, Ken Pussell, who um, you know, runs operations and engineering and supply chain and lean. And early on, they started managing some of the supply risks of parts coming out of China. So we were watching it early. And then in then March, you know, we started to see the um, – I was actually had flown down to Greensboro, North Carolina, to go with a, a good friend of mine and my son – to see the ACC basketball tournament. And it was a trip we'd been looking for forever. And they played one game, one night, and then we, they canceled the rest of the tournament. And that was really when things went south significantly. And all of a sudden, we started seeing our dealerships close. And um, you know, the company was in a crisis. We had a, a, almost a liquidity crisis because our dealers couldn't sell anything. And that meant we couldn't get any cash coming in. So we quickly pivoted. We'd had a recession plan, a, a book that um, you know, Mike Speets and my, you know, rock star CFO had put together and working with the team. So we just took out our recession playbook and said, let's execute this. And we had to make some really difficult decisions about people. And we let quite a few people go. And we uh, announced furloughs for a couple of weeks for everybody that stayed. And we closed our factories for about 10 days. And as a leadership team saying, what are we going to do to get through this pandemic? And we made all of those very tough challenges and we had ourselves positioned to get through it. And then I uh, had a board meeting, had an earnings call in April, a board meeting in April, and we said how bad things were. Right about the exact time of the board meeting, we started to see results improve. And what happened for us is things went from really bad to really good, like it, as good as they've ever been in the history of the company, really quickly. And what happened took me a while to figure it out. Was it the stimulus checks that was driving the demand? But ultimately, People needed something to do with their families. Um, they wanted an outdoor escape. And if you think about Polaris offers, whether it's motorcycles, ATVs, side-by-side -side vehicles, uh, pontoon boats, I mean, we just offer a lot of different things to get outside. In fact, our tagline is Think Outside. And I was shocked at how many Americans and, and actually all over the world, people took advantage of that. So our dealers, um, we, we created a tool, um, Click Deliver Ride, where you can actually just buy online and it's delivered to your house and you can ride. 
So our dealers partnered with us, and really we had sales up over 50% a couple of months in May and June. Um, and even now, demand is really, really strong because people aren't going to Disney World. They don't have Little League baseball games to go to. They don't have soccer games to go to. You know, they're, they're finding that, that our vehicles are a great way to enjoy the outdoors and spend time with family. So it's um, our team's done a really good job. We've put a very strong team together to keep our employees safe. I talked about setting clear goals. I mean, one of the things we said, our first priority is keeping our employees safe. Our second priority is keeping the company viable. Our third priority is winning is with our dealers and making sure that our dealers were good recognizing our partnership through the crisis. And fourth, and it was last, is we're going to do right by our shareholders. And um, really, it was those priorities that guided us. And I'm really proud of the fact that, you know, we, we've kept our employees safe and uh, we continue to make that a priority for us. And uh, ultimately, um, we're dealing with a lot of supply chain challenges now is uh, between, you know, hurricanes and fires and the pandemic um, and then just the tremendous demand that we've placed on our suppliers. We've got a few uh, challenges there, but they're really proud of the 14,000 employees we have and um, how they've helped us get through this. Wow, that's great. It, you pivoted as you need to, and it seems like things are, are working out and uh, people are getting to use uh, Polaris's products to bond with their families and spend some quality time while we're stuck at home, which is where we're at least not going to, to work and, uh, and, and being at, at home with our families. So let's talk about Polaris has done a lot to really make an impact in the communities, in your local communities over the last eight months as well. And so you guys have done a technology partnership with schools through the Polaris Foundation as when all of this started happening and schools started shutting down and the world had to figure out this world of e-learning very quickly, there were challenges with uh, availability of technology for families, right? And so you guys really stepped up to help contribute and provide technology to some of your local communities. Talk to us a little bit more about that. Well, you know, the Polaris Foundation um, is something that we're very committed to. We want to be good stewards for, our, for the environment, but also for the communities that we operate in. And, um, you know, when the pandemic hit and schools started to lock down, we recognized that many of the areas where we have factories and we have employees, um, they didn't have, not every family had the money to have an iPad or a connected computer for their children. So we just partnered with you know, several of the local schools and said, look, um, we'll provide the, um, the tablets, whatever's necessary to provide that every student in those schools can be connected to provide a good learning experience. And, you know, ultimately, those are potentially our future employees. And we wanted to be able to give back to the community. And, um, you know, it, it, it really does make our employees feel better when they know that, you know, we're not only making money for shareholders, but we're also giving back to the communities where we operate in. Absolutely. It's fantastic. And you also partnered with some other local companies as well, such as Smith Medical, as they were looking to wrap up the manufacturing of their IV infusion pumps in, in Minnesota. And so I just think it, it's amazing what Polaris is doing. There's been so many businesses that really answered the call to lead and to make an impact, especially in those early months when the world was just changing so quickly, trying to figure out what the heck is going on, you know, and mitigate, uh, mitigate the spread of coronavirus as quickly as possible by people staying home. Yeah. So I appreciate well, you know, there's a, What Dana Anderson, who runs the foundation for us, really does a remarkable job. And, you know, we look for opportunities to, to give back to the community. And, 
you know, sometimes it's money and sometimes it's employee volunteer time, um, but ultimately just recognizing the importance of being able to, to give back and, instead of just, you know, take from the communities where we operate. Absolutely. So I have one other question that I want to ask you before we go to my two-minute drill. One thing that I always uh, talk about is the importance of people having mentors as well as sponsors when they're looking at trying to navigate and grow their career. What are your thoughts on that? And did you have some great mentors or sponsors along the way? And just to clarify for those who may not be familiar with the difference, in my opinion, uh, a mentor is someone who's there to give you career advice and, and share their expertise, whereas a sponsor is someone who really is that advocate and that champion that really helps you to advance in your career versus being the, the mentor type of a role. So did you have uh, some of those types of individuals in your career as you were looking to excel? Yeah, no, I, I really have. Interestingly, um, when I was working at the Pentagon, I finished up my MBA while I was in the Navy. And, um, you know, I kind of thought I was going to work on General Powell's presidential campaign. And when, you know, he decides not to run for office, I'm like, oh, crap, I got to get a job. So I asked General Powell if, um, if he knew anybody. I, I thought I wanted to go to investment banking. If he knew anybody, and um, he ultimately put me in touch with Dan Daniello, who was one of the founding partners of the Carlisle Group, and I, um, and it turns out that Dan had been a former Navy supply officer, so we hit it off pretty well. And um, you know, ultimately, I, I was really excited. This was, you know, Carlisle Group was just getting started, and I thought it would be a wonderful career opportunity. And he kind of burst my bubble a little bit and said, "Scott, if if you want a job, I'll give you one, but you're not going to be my best analyst. In fact, I don't even think you're going to like doing sitting in front of a computer and discounting cash flows and doing all the analysis." He goes, "You're a leader. Why don't you go out in corporate America and?" learn how to run businesses, and ultimately you can come back and run one for me someday. And, you know, interestingly, I, I took his advice, and you know, that's how I ended up at Allied Signal. But over the years, I would regularly call Dan, you know, when I had pivotal points in my career. And um, at one point I said, Dan, it's kind of strange that every time I call you, I mean, this is Carlisle had grown so big then, you either answer the phone or you call right back. And um, it was one of the best responses I've ever gotten. I'm like, Dan, I just don't understand. You, you always either answer the phone or call back. And he said, isn't that just what you do, Scott? It doesn't matter who's calling you. Answer the phone or call back. And, um, you know, I've changed that a little bit as I get so many robocalls and uh, whatnot. But, you know, when you're trying to mentor someone, um, and that's what he was, a mentor, it really is important to be available and provide sound advice. And ultimately, uh, I, I was very blessed to, to have, have that opportunity. Oh, that's great. Yeah, as you were saying that, you reminded me, one of my mentors earlier in my career was Dennis Molenberg, who who ended up being the CEO of Boeing for a while. And Dennis always made time, you know, no matter what, if he he would always call back um, if he wasn't available. Uh, usually we would set time on the calendar, but if I had to call him for something real quick, just off the cuff, I mean, he was always one that, that made the time. Because I think that's what, what great leaders and mentors do is they make time for their people. So I appreciate you sharing that. So what I want to do now is I want to transition to my two-minute drill and ask you seven fun questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. The first one is, what is your favorite food? All right. That's not even close. Carolina pork barbecue with coleslaw and hot sauce. Well, there you go. All right. How about, what is your favorite movie? You know, it's kind of sad, but uh, I, I figured it wouldn't be right to put down Cheech and Chong. So I love watching It's a Wonderful Life with James Stewart every Christmas with my family. Oh, that's a great, it's a classic movie. Cheech and Chong, by the way, is a, I haven't heard that, uh, <laughs> that in a long time. <laughs> I guess it, it kind of dates me a little bit, but boy, were those funny movies. 
Yes, yes, they were. Um, how about what is your uh, favorite professional sports team? You know, I'm almost embarrassed to admit it, but my wife's actually converted me into a New England Patriots fan. Bill Belichick grew up at the – his father was a coach at the Naval Academy, and um, he grew up in Annapolis, and, you know, he's still very supportive of the program, and I just really impressed with what he's built in New England. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he, he's done a fantastic job. And there are people out there, they either love the Patriots or they hate the Patriots, right? But, uh, but Bill Belichick is a phenomenal leader. Um, I had on the show – Many months ago, uh, Ted Karras, whose son, Teddy Karras, played up at the Patriots, and uh, he just had some wonderful things to share about Bill Belichick's style, everything that he's done. Yeah, no, I actually um, got to know Ted. He was, um, we were a sponsor for the Patriots for a while, and Ted said at our table one night, what an interesting guy, as well-read as anyone I've ever met. Yes, yeah, he's a good, good guy. Next question is, what is the best piece of advice that you've been given by a coach or a mentor? You know, it's very simple. It's just called bet on people and make good business decisions. And when I first heard it, it wasn't like, wow, that's so insightful. But ultimately, as a leader, you've got to surround yourself with people that you trust. And literally, you've got to bet on them. And you've got to, when you're betting on someone, you pay attention to who it is. But if you build the right team and you're betting on those people, but ultimately, as leaders, we've got to make good business decisions. And if you consistently do those things, if you get the right people and you make good business decisions, generally everything's going to turn out all right. And, and ultimately, I thought that was great advice. Absolutely. Now I'm going to flip it and ask you, what's the best piece of advice that you would give someone? You know, I, I thought about this one, and it really it's, it's quite simple. Hard work, lead well. And when I say lead well, it's be compassionate, be harsh when you need to be, but just be an overall good leader. So work hard, lead well, be bold. And really, I, I think that be bold thing is really important because if you're conservative and you're only going to get incrementally better and you're not going to take any risks, you can't do very much. But if you're a leader and you've got a vision and you understand what can be done and you can boldly go forward with that, um, I think it's great. But ultimately, it's about getting results. Um, so really, it's work hard, lead well, be bold, get results. And I think too, too often people get promoted and they forget to get results. They think they've gotten there. That's all they need to do. No, when you get there, you've got to work your tail off to get good results. Absolutely. All right. My next question is what is one thing that most people don't know about you? Well, you know, we, Minnesota's Minneapolis is a big city now. And, you know, we, we've got a nice house, but you know, people don't realize that uh, when I was growing up in, in little Dayton, Virginia, a wonderful town in the, the middle of the Shenandoah Valley, you know, my father was CEO of a small electric cooperative and, you know, he and my mother would go away and, you know, the only transportation that my brother and I would have for a week at a time would be the horse and buggy that our Mennonite babysitter had. So um, really just growing up in a really small rural town and, and regularly riding horse and buggies was, uh, it seemed like a normal way of life for me that I didn't realize until I went off to the Naval Academy that that wasn't normal at all. <laughs> Gotcha, horse and buggies. They're, they still exist, too, in certain places. You know, Dayton, Virginia, you see them every Sunday. Nice. All right, my last question is, if you could be any superhero, who would you be and why? You know, I think I would simply be Superman because, one, he can do wonderful things and fly and have all these superpowers, but at times he can be a normal person as well. And I think that combination of being able to be a, a person that can really do great things is a, is a great combination. Okay, great answer. 
Well, Scott, as we look to close the show, any last thoughts for our listeners? Any other pieces of advice for people who are looking to lead better or to advance in their career? You know, I think part of it is just, um, I would just encourage, especially in a time when we're all dealing with the pandemic and the tragic fires out west and, you know, the racial tensions in the country and, you know, potentially, um, you know, a, a rough election coming up. I think it's just really important to be positive, to, to stay positive and, and think about what's possible and what little things we can do to make things better and not get too caught up in how bad things are. And I'd ultimately uh, just like to leave with a note of positivity for everyone. Well, thank you. That, that's great. I mean, it's important for us to, to stay positive as well because there are people around us that are struggling with that and your positivity can make all the difference in someone else's day as well. It's contagious. Absolutely. Well, Scott, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been a true pleasure. Jen, enjoyed it. Have a great day. Thank you. And thank you to everyone for listening. And we will catch you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball, check out my website at www.jenniferagarrett.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.